Like you can do big little devoid of faith. Yeah, you can be absolutely. faith anemic and do big little. Like yeah. you can you can use your own imagination, your own ingenuity, your own know how, and you can like force big little to work, create a big wide thing, and have a little bit of impact because we as humans can produce a little bit of impact. But man, like the little big takes the mustard seed faith. This is the absurd journey of three church planners reintroducing familiar ideas in unfamiliar ways. This is the Bless Up Podcast. All right, welcome back. This is the Bless Up Podcast. I'm Rachel. I'm here with Corey and James. And today, today is a special treat. Today... We have the original Bless Up team back together. For those of you who don't know, Bless Up is something that started years ago. There was no recording. There was nothing. There was just four of us, four, four of us, us <clears throat> in a room um, with a whole bunch of people just, just preaching on topics that came to our heart. And so today, we have our first guest on the podcast who is not a guest or someone unfamiliar at all. If you were there back in the day. Yep. Today, we have Eduardo Herrera Silva. Yeah. Squad, squad. Fam, fam. Welcome, Eddie. Thank you, thank you. My guy, my guy. This is the OG crew today. Before before Eddie started doing spinoffs and stuff, before he was, you know, we were all too big to be next to each other. You know, he, he had to do a spinoff thing. Like, this was it. This was the squad right here. So, I, I couldn't be happier. Like any anyone who knows me deeply knows that Eddie's my. I talk about Eddie all the time. Eddie's my guy. Eddie, Eddie, can you can you tell everyone where you are calling in from right now? Yeah, so I'm in Norfolk, Virginia, uh, right next to Virginia Beach. Um, I have been hearing from uh, people in Canton that it's been beautiful up there, and uh, we have Canton weather 100% right now. So it's been uh, <laughs> back and forth, guys. I've been listening to the podcast. Uh, uh, I, I pretty much just binged it in one week uh, here, like about a few weeks ago. And I will text Corey responses as if he's like, <laughs> like talking in that moment. I'll be like, I'll be like, guys, I, I'm like Corey. I have seven minute abs, and he's like, shut up. Like, Stop talking. Literally, <laughs> I'm in the middle. I'm in the middle of a meeting the other day, and I get a text message from Eddie. And so, like, whenever it's from Eddie, Eddie's important enough to uh, in my life that I'm like, I'm gonna check that in the moment. And and I look at it, you know how like when you do your little fi- the face ID thing, uh, it just shows you. It goes from like message to like it shows you what they say. And I see in the message preview, in the middle of this very very important meeting, I'm sure I don't remember what it was. Uh, Eddie just says, "I have 30 minute a day abs," and I was like, "Get the <laughs> frick out of here, dude!" Like, <laughs> oh my gosh. But- my wife would tell you I have no abs, so there's, there's the proof. <laughs> that's that needs to be our next guest. We need we need Nicole. That's that's what oh, we need for yes. our next guest. We should bring Picky Nikki. <laughs> Picky Nikki. She would come in like this. Nobody on the podcast can see this, but Corey, your anecdotes are forever. So. <laughs> My guy. All right, so listen, today we are going to talk about um, something that for me I was first introduced to. Um, while sitting around a fire in random pieces of furniture in Eddie's garage. 
Um, that is the first time. A fire inside the garage. Yes, it, you heard me correctly. Inside, this is not like when I said stupider and I'm misspeaking. This is literally we were sitting in a, around a fire inside Eddie's garage, and Eddie introduced me to this topic that he called little bigs and big littles. Um, so that's little big things. So little things that make a great big impact versus big little things. So great big things that actually make very little impact. And we've, we have had this discussion off and on all of us for, oh my gosh, I don't even know how long we, we hit this topic probably once a month in random discussions. And, um, there, there is a place for both, but today we're going to talk about little big things and big little things. So I want to start off by posing the question, what is something that you have experienced in your life, whether you have done it for someone else or it's something that you personally have experienced that, and that was a great big thing that turned out to be a little thing. So what is a great big thing that turned out to be a little thing? I'm posing the question, so I've had time to think about this. I'm going to tell you straight up, first off, when we took our kids to Disney World. Mm -hmm. When we took our kids to Disney World, we thought this was going to be this great big thing. And, and in my heart, it was so much fun. And I have the photos of my kids, and I remember taking them. Sarah was absolutely obsessed with the Lion King at that point in her yep. life. <clears throat> she was obsessed. One of our friends had arranged for her to get to meet Timon yep. and meet the cast of like the Lion King at Disney World. And Sarah was, I mean, she was so excited about this whole thing. I've got a picture of her like diving into Timon's arms. I remember watching it thinking, this is so magical. My child does not remember it. Yeah. She doesn't remember it. She doesn't, she has no recollection of going to Disney World. I do. I do. <laughs> I remember the record setting high temperatures in Florida that day. That's what I remember. It literally it literally broke records. Like the heat broke records that day. Corey and I you would sweat standing. It was hotter than Max's wedding. It was hotter than Max's wedding, bro. And that Dang. that was probably the second hottest day I've ever experienced. Dang. Second only to these days in Disney, bro. It was miserable. And it was April. Like it was not supposed to be like that. Record setting highs. Yeah. Guys, my only uh my only memory of Disney World is uh uh I'm standing outside uh with my uncle outside the door to Disney World, getting ready to go in, and this guy comes up to my uncle, his name's Uncle Eduardo, okay, just a bigger, like more broader version of me, you know, and he's like and the guy's like, Hey, you gotta smoke and the guy's like and my uncle's like, Can he sing? Which means like, what is he saying? And he goes, Hey, you gotta smoke and my uncle turns around to him and he goes, Wow and <laughs> And the guy goes, I'm sorry, bro. I'm sorry. I'm leaving. I'm leaving. So, bro, I don't remember anything else in Disney World except that moment. So you're, you're good. My finest, my finest memory of, of Disney World was leaving. I remember, I remember walking next to my father-in-law. He was pushing my, my middle daughter at the time was just an infant. He's pushing Kaylee in a stroller. And I remember on the way out, Rachel, my mother-in-law and Sarah are already miles ahead of us, you know, sprinting like joy, like just having a great time. And I remember walking next to my father-in-law and the lady at the at the exit was like, all right, see you again soon. <laughs> and my father-in-law looks at her and goes, hopefully not. And she's <laughs> kept walking. And I was like, yep, that pretty much sums it up. 
<laughs> You're such a hater when it comes to Disney World. I like such a hater. Rachel, I'll probably have to say there's like two examples for me. Okay. And they all go into like the idea of like when people say don't meet your heroes. Ooh. Like I so the first time like Skylar as my witness, it was in 2014. We went down to this like <laughs> Christian hip hop like thing and like I like met one of my heroes who was like a Christian rapper, like one of my heroes. And I'm like, I meet him and I figure I'm like, yeah, I should probably tell him like the impact his album had on my life. So I like start telling him that. And he literally just starts like backing up. Like Skylar's my witness. He just like starts stepping backwards and he like slid out of like the side door of the sanctuary. <laughs> I am not kidding you. He just like slid like <laughs> like it backed out. And then like later on that evening, we're sitting at a table with other people who know him. And they're like, oh, yeah, you should you should meet this person. And they like motion. They motion him over. And he just comes like, up nah, and he just comes over and he just looks at us. And then like after they were done talking, he was like, yeah, I'm going to catch you all. He just like bounced out again. Like Sky is my witness. That was like his oh mo. And I was like, it was like a, it was like one of those moments where I was like, dang, like. And then another moment, I met like, I was in a cohort with like one of my pastor heroes, and it was like, I'm there with him, and like, over the course of the two days, the only things that I learned, I I came with like questions, like heaters. About, like, how do I do this? Like, you did this. The only thing I learned from that dude was that he, like, eats really dope food all the time. Like, the kind of food he eats is incredible. And that he wants to buy a private jet. Those were, like, the only, those were, like, <laughs> the primary things. So I got back on the plane to come back to Ohio, and I was just like, well, I need to reevaluate, like, what my definition of a hero is because I'm. Dang. <laughs> yeah. Those big things were definitely little. Dang. Well, expect. Uh, let me say it this way, and because you have two examples, but just the idea of heroes, real quick, uh, to feed off of that, uh, unexpected heroes are something that I would uh, have come to phrase over time. You know, just people that give you a lot more than you thought they were going to give you. And I think they end up giving you a lot more than they even thought they were going to give you. Uh, I was uh, speaking of your father-in-law, uh, Corey, we were, I was leaving a season that was really hard for me. Mm. And, uh, and I was uh, just kind of uh, in a, in a place where I needed to unpack things. And, uh, and your father-in-law actually, am I allowed to say his name, Big Steve? You know, like uh, Big Steve pulls me aside and says, Hey, um, I have a space for you. I'd love to uh, be like almost like a cigar mentor to you, and you can just come over in the mornings and just spend some time talking. And uh, and I can't tell you how much clarity I got for the next ten years of my life. Like I almost created a, a roadmap of sorts for my life uh, as I began to kind of decipher what I was going to do. But you know, he he has the capacity to give me a lot of things, and what he gave me was an hour of his time and a cigar once a week. For probably about six solid months, and it uh, it kind of set me in a different direction. So now uh, I would say just to kind of as a, as a contrast, you know, uh, to the to the idea of something that was very little, 
that had a really big impact. Uh, it didn't have a name. It didn't have branding around it. Yep. He wasn't like, come be my disciple. You know what I mean? He was just like, yo, you like cigars? Come smoke a cigar on my back porch. Yeah. And it was, uh, um, it was a model for me of, you know, maybe changing up the phraseology a little bit, but doing something that was a little thing that became a big thing. It's big. Little big things. You guys are... <clears throat> You guys are so much better than me in just every in just every way, because instantly, like y'all y'all know my favorite things to talk about in this order: Jesus, sports. But in this case, I'm going to talk about my third favorite thing to talk about: food. Food. Oh, I'm I'm glad glad I guessed that. That would have been embarrassing. When you when you say like big little versus little big, my mind instantly go goes to the difference between chain restaurants and the local joint you know like the chain the chain restaurants like i any anyone who knows me knows like how how funny and ironic this is like we live we live right next to uh you know in canton uh just north of the city is this place called belden village and belden village has the second most restaurants per capita in the entire country with the exception uh the second only to pasadena california shout out to jeff snodgrass right um and 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 we we what's funny about belden having that that many restaurants is that they're like all chains like they're all chains and all these people go like to eat at all these restaurants in Belden village and like i just refuse like i just i just refuse to play that game my undying loyalty and my wholehearted love is for the local spots that you can only get in canton like the, the 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 local places and here's and here's how i would describe it right so like the chains are the big little which is that they're everywhere they're all over the country or they're all over the region they are absolutely everywhere um but their model of scalability and getting bigger and getting more has caused them to sacrifice in some way the quality of their product Right. And so I I say it all the time. We go to restaurants for the first time. Like if you got a lot of stuff on your menu, I don't trust you. Cause like, if you got a lot of stuff on your menu, I just automatically assume that means you're not good at anything, right? That you're just like throwing stuff out there. Like we got salads and sandwiches and pizzas and burgers. Like if you have pizzas and burgers, you don't do either one right, right? Like it's just not like it's, that. that's not it. That's not it. Right. Um, For me, the local spot, they might not be scalable. They might not be everywhere. They might literally only be on one block of the city that you don't particularly care to go to. They might not even have the best customer service and you might have to wait 30 minutes outside for them to hand you your food through a window. But let me tell you something about that local spot. You'll be back again. Like you'll be back because what they just fed you is on point they got a short menu they got a small menu but what they do is what they do and what they do and what they do well is impactful and it changes like it changes you and it causes you to go back for more so when i think of like big little i think of i think of those chains that like they're everywhere they're big businesses they're really popular they're advertised all over the place but their food is like if we're going to be honest honest it's not that crazy right but the local spots that are not everywhere that you probably haven't even heard of, that food is off the hook. And they know your name. 
and they know your name. Like, oh, you want the usual? Bet. That's my spot. My dad and I, uh, you know, had a great relationship. Uh, my dad was, uh, I say, the combination of all the good things and all the hard things all in one man, uh, which I think is uh, sometimes uh, all of us. You know what I mean? We're all, we're all the difficult things, all the intense things, all the good things, all in one person, right? Uh, some of us fear that we're too much. Some of us fear that we're too little. You know what I mean? But there's just, there's just a lot going on there. And, uh, and there was one phrase that my dad said to me that really got this idea of big little things and little big things, uh, the ball rolling. And it was that he wanted to be famous in his own home. You know, I think he, mm. he, um, you know, John Mayer says, you know, you, uh, you do 68, you renegotiate, don't stop this train. You know, like you have that moment. <laughs> and, and I, I, my dad, you know, I think was having this moment where he was like renegotiating life at the age of 60 years old. Mm. And he's like, Hey, I just want to be famous in my own home. I don't know. I don't care about anything else. And, mm. uh, that really began this process, you know, of, of just, uh, us really hashing out what it would look like to have fatherhood be something that he not only gave to me over the period that he had given to me, but also that I would know how to father going forward. And, mm. uh, we were in a long drive and he says, Hey, you know, I, I think Eddie, if I do this correctly, my goal would be that I would father you from the time that you're zero to your teenage years, that I would be a brother to you, your teenage years into your young adult years. And that I would be a friend to you, uh, as you become an adult and one who has his own children. And that is for me, um, I think if you look at discipleship or you look at the way Jesus did it, he's like, well, he's like, I want to befriend you. I want to be your brother. And ultimately I want to, you know, to, to point you towards the father. It's, it's funny because you almost have this natural father, brother, you know, uh, friend, uh, process happening along with, you know, naturally or in the spiritual world, you know, this friend, brotherhood, fatherhood thing happening. And for me, um, that has been the, oh, I could expand on it more, but for right now, I just, I just have to say like, that's been my ultimate little big thing is it's not seen again. It's not branded. I, I, for the most part, another tangent, you know, it's just like, I almost feel like branding things kills things, you know? And so Mm. uh, it's not branded. It's just something that we live by, um, as, as parents, as fathers, as mothers. So that's been, that's been the story for me of kind of like the origin of this. Eddie, you used a phrase um, that your dad wanted to be famous in his own home. Um, we we live in this society that loves to create celebrity, and we also love to crucify celebrity. And so um, just like... Talk about that tension a little bit. The idea of famous in your own home, it almost seems it seems sort of like an oxymoron to say, I want to be famous in my own home. Um, so just like, yeah, yeah, talk about that a little bit. It starts with the immediate family, right? The, the unit uh, that's in the, in the home. But then you have all the friends that come over. Uh, all of the different people that maybe it's their church friends, maybe their, uh, you know, brothers, sisters, but um, you recognize a person that is famous in their own home because there is an organism that kind of revolves around that person, right? For some of them, it's the mama hen, uh, it's the, the, the mom, you know, for some of them, it's the dad, but that there seems to be almost like um, not only an organism that's taking place around them, but then there's also kind of like a weather system that takes place around them, right? They say, hey, when you're in the room, uh, there's joy and there's excitement or there's something, you you know, you are changing the space, you know? It's, uh, 
Um, it's like a little bit of like food coloring and a bunch of water. You know what I mean? Uh, throwing Kool-Aid in the water is what I, we used to say is, is there's just this idea of just like a little bit of food coloring or a little bit of Kool-Aid just changes the whole pot, you know? And so, um, fame, to be famous in your own home essentially is when there is almost this, this natural organic gathering of, uh, the sleepovers, the friends, uh, Hey, let's hang out at your house instead. And, and there's just a very natural rhythm to that, um, uh, but it usually is revolving around one person, and usually it revolves around food. Uh, but if it's not food, it's because there's some kind of skill to be given away, or there's some kind of uh, you know something to learn, or or here there's an, an emotion to be had as well, right? Sometimes uh, a parent, you know, a mom or a dad, they just they just inspire safety. And uh, I don't know if you're 12 or you're 22. Uh, or sometimes even as an adult, it's harder to admit it, but man, sometimes you get around somebody and you're like, I just want to be over at their house. I just feel safe there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that hits it, man. And I feel like it's something that's talked about so often, like what your dad was laying down to you, but man, it's something so like difficult to like live out, man. How do you see yourself like living into that? Uh, so we are learning to um, negotiate time, right? Uh, I think Nicole set me down earlier today, and she goes, hey, uh, we can make more money. Uh, we could do more things. We could drive harder. She goes, or we can be really present with the kids uh, yeah. in the season, right? And so we're. I think you, we've learned to kind of figure out um, if if the little big things – are ultimately the the uh, leaning into the idea that we're going to do the small things, the unseen things. Um, uh, honestly, for us as parents, it's going to be our, our children first. You know, it's going to be the, the closest. Re- it really comes down to relationships. Little big things come down to relationships. What are the relationships in our life that we should be investing? You might just you might be a husband or wife that just has no kids at home. This how am I investing in this relationship first and foremost? Right, and so uh, I think. Uh, prioritizing the people that are closest to us, that are in our immediate family. Um, I think it, it's, we're talking about it from this different perspective, right? So it almost feels like, uh, like new, but it's stuff that we've already been talking about. So I would just say it's just kind of learning to prioritize a little bit. Um, yeah. I, I love the idea of having a sense of wonder and awe about things, right? And so, like, for me, I'm like, I'm always, I'm always looking for how to create a sense of awe, awe and wonder in, in my kids or, or in the people who I'm around. So um, that's probably one, one thing. It's just prioritizing. Yeah. During Lent, I've been, like, just reading the Gospels back and forth. I mean, John is my favorite Gospel, so I, like, just, like, camp out and hang out there. But I've been reading them back and forth, and I think, like, it's something that I know, but it's something that's like striking me super deeply as I read through them. Like wherever there is a crowd, Jesus dispels the crowd mm-hmm. and he's trying to speak directly like to his disciples. And it's so wild in John six yeah. that like 15,000 people like the text says 5,000, but like didn't count the women and children, probably around 15,000 people are following Jesus one, because he walked on water. And then after they seen him walk on water, they probably figure, hey, we get some food from this dude. Jesus feeds the 5,000. And then Jesus, like, is walking away from them. Like, I've read slowly and, like, looked at what's happening. And if you look at what's happening, Jesus is, like, walking away from the crowd. But they keep following him, trying to get food. And Jesus, like, as he's walking away, is, like, preaching this sermon. 
And like as a preacher, it's wild to me to think about like, yo, like he's preaching the sermon, like walking away. So he's not actually preaching the sermon to the crowd, but he's actually preaching the sermon like to his disciples that are like right around him as he's walking away from the crowd. And then like as he's preaching the sermon about like, yo, I gave you bread, but I am the bread of life. He hits him with a knockout punch and he's like, yo, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. And the big crowd walks away mm-hmm. and Jesus doesn't do anything to try to retain the big crowd because Jesus knows that like the vehicle by which the big crowd is going to be reached is those few dudes that are right around him. Yep. And those few dudes actually like realizing fully who he is. So he stays around those few dudes and he like, hey, are you guys going to leave me too? Peter, where else can we go? For you have the words of life. And I feel like Jesus' life is this, just this idea of like, I'm the savior of the universe. I'm the second person of the Trinity, but I condescend into humanity. I'm born as a baby. I'm vulnerable. Yeah. Like, I need to get my diaper changed, but I'm God. I'm, I'm, I am the subject of the scriptures, but I go to the synagogue to learn the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Like as a child, because it is the custom. It's just, yeah. I feel like Jesus like perfectly embodies like the big little philosophy. Mm-hmm. So let me um, let me pose uh, a slight tension. Like James, you brought up something with with the feeding the five thousand. That is um, like that's I, I've actually never paid attention that directly before to realize that he was talking about so much of that walking away. Um, and there's this interesting thing that we see in the life of Jesus where he preaches the Sermon on the Mount and he's got all these people. And before he walks away from the 5,000, he acknowledges their presence and he feeds them. He performs a miracle in front of them. And so he gives the crowd a word in both, in, in both of these situations. And, and he acknowledges the crowd. He speaks to the crowd. And then after the resurrection, he just he makes his friends breakfast. It's it, breakfast. Jesus is one of my favorite Jesus. Top three, top three favorite. Yeah, versions like of Jesus. so he so he feeds the crowd and he speaks to the crowd. And then after the resurrection, he makes his friends breakfast. And so Jesus lives in this tension of both little big things and big little things. Like we see both, and and I know all three of you guys have have pastored churches and all three of you guys have uh led ministries and 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 been like you know big speakers and leaders on your campuses and like they're at different points in your lives you guys have all done different things and you've had to put an emphasis on both things and so just how do you how do you live in that tension how do you Mm -hmm. navigate the tension of um the cultural expectation of big things and and at the same time giving such a huge effort and acknowledging the importance of little things how do you how do you live in that tension so i think i think for me what it comes down to is <clears throat> first of all a common a common narrative for us in our in our like culture is we want to we want to make everything a dichotomy like we want to pit everything against each other big little versus little right. big right, right? Um, and, and what I see is like in Jesus, like, like you just pointed out, like Jesus acknowledges both. 
Jesus like taught the crowds, right? Um, but Jesus taught the crowds as they came in, as he was teaching, as he was teaching those who were next to him. For example, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew's chapters five through seven. He starts by just talking to his disciples. Mm-hmm. We believe that by the time he gets to some of the harder hitting stuff in chapter seven, there's a whole crowd at this point. But like he began that by just sitting on the side of a hill with his boys. And I think that Jesus, like Jesus acknowledges the big. Jesus acknowledges the crowd. Jesus addresses the crowd but what jesus put his shoulder into like what jesus put his time into was what as he would say in in later chapters in john what the lord had given him in front of him right like i i I, something you guys hear me say all the time is God is infinitely more creative than we are. I think we, as a, as a, by and large, our society burns ourselves out by trying to strive for or build something, uh, search for our platform that's going to make a difference, build our business that's going to make a difference. Um, we, we, we work hard to become a person that is going to make a difference, to be a voice, uh, that is going to make a difference without ever realizing that God has placed us somewhere on purpose that perhaps even though we are in Canton, Ohio, and we're not yet in the big city that you're trying to get to, that God has you in Canton, Ohio on purpose. What's always been interesting to me about the Gospels is that in Matthew, when it starts with the lineage, God placed Jesus in that lineage on purpose. Like God placed Jesus in that family tree on purpose. God has you in the family tree that you're in on purpose. And yes, there's pain and yes, there's broken branches and there's things about the family tree that, that, that hurt us. But God has you there on purpose. God has given you the relationships that you have on purpose, the children that you have that is yours to cultivate on purpose. And, and so even though that th- there is an acknowledgement of the bigger, we have to acknowledge the bigger crowds in our positions. What I have learned to put my time into what I've learned to really put my shoulder and my best effort into is the small stuff that God uniquely and organically handcrafted to hand to me directly, which is, you know, my, my, my family, my relationships with my spouse, my relationship with my children, the few people who are closest to me. When you get outside that first layer, we talked about this being in, in being a hater episode. Like when you get past out that first layer, that's where you're open to like scrutiny and all this other kind of stuff. But people don't really know you like that. Jesus spoke to the crowds, even in a way where he knew the crowd was going to misunderstand him. But those who were with him knew Right after Jesus says that crazy thing about eat my flesh and drink my blood and the crowd goes away because that's wild and it's offensive and that's crazy and we're going to get out of here. He looks at his disciples like, are you all going to leave too? And what do they say? Where would we go? Where would we go? You have the words of life. They knew They knew exactly. They knew exactly. This was great. This was great. Except for the cross and resurrection, I believe Jesus would say all this stuff that I've done is big little things. Because, because ultimately, and I'm looking at like thinking of an itinerary in my head of like, uh, you know, training and 
you know, it would be like step one, pick all the disciples. And then at the end, it would be like breakfast, breakfast. You know what breakfast. I mean? And the, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the little big thing based on the cross and resurrection would be, I trained you all along, right? So just to kind of weave what James was saying, like he's walking away and telling them what's up. He's uh, on a mountaintop. He's on the upper room discourse. And he's like, hey, I, I haven't called you or I'm not here to model for you being a dreamer who accomplishes his own goal in his own lifetime, I've called you to be a dream maker, right? Like he, mm. He's like, I, I not only came to you to accomplish your own goals and build your own kingdom, I came, I'm, I'm showing you how to build something generationally. And so Jesus shows us what blessed, generational blessing looks like from the Father, but then organizationally, he shows us what generational blessing looks like through the disciples. Mm. And then the disciples themselves at some point are like on board they kind of get it they're they're like once they've matured and all of a sudden all of them are just willing to give up their life Mm -hmm. and and they're all all of a sudden realizing man we got to see so much more than jesus got to see right as as in the first time around but but then they all kind of catch this vision at the very end of their of their lives where they realize oh man we're about to this thing is about to explode. It's about to be exponential. There's about to be uh, thousands, uh, hundreds of thousands, millions of people connected to this. And so I just, uh, the, the idea here is, you know, Jesus really, the subplot of what he was doing was this training of the disciples to be dream makers and not dreamers themselves. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Can you flesh that out a little bit more? So what would you say is the difference between a dreamer and a dream maker? So you have uh, people who, who <laughs> you have people, you know, CEOs, people who have started their own business and they and they they it's the moment where you either make time to give away all the skills, a moment where you give away and you show a how to um, <laughs> or, or you just continue um, to essentially cash in on your own success. And that that the tension there uh, maybe even goes back to what what um, Rachel was saying about the idea of being a public figure versus a private figure. But at some point, you see mature figures in our world kind of take a step back. You kind of see them fade a little bit into the gray because they're giving away a lot of this stuff. It's a legacy season where they begin to give stuff away. Um, I, I think that um, if, if we don't mature beyond our own visions and our own dreams that we have to realize that there are all of these other people coming behind us with dreams, with visions, with hopes, with plans, and our part in their dreams and visions sometimes allows our uh, our our company, our organization, uh, by allowing and making room for more people at the table and, and equipping them to do and take the vision to the next step, man, that creates a, a that creates an exponential growth versus what I'm able to do in my own lifetime. Mm-hmm. And so, again, maybe I, I think you're catching what I'm saying, is, you know, and yeah. maybe you can flesh it out, you know, a little bit better than I can. But it's just this idea of, am I going to reap all of the benefits? And I mean all of the benefits of the life that I've built while I'm here. Or am I going to create a life where the ones that are coming behind me are actually going to reap a lot of those benefits as well? Mm, That's good. That's that's it. That's it right there. Yeah, man. Uh, Gosh, I can't do like... 
as I've been teaching New Testament survey, like at CVCA, one of the things I've been realizing as I've been, been like, I think with like the eyes of my heart for the first time in a while, just reading the New Testament, dude, it's like a, it's a horror story, dude. Like it outside of the hope that's found in Jesus Christ is a freaking tragedy. Mm-hmm. And because of our triumphalistic narrative here in the United States, we read everything with that lens and with that bend. But if you actually read what Paul is saying in all these letters, he's like, hey, I know you're getting flogged. I know you're getting beat up. I know you're getting persecuted. I've been flogged. I've been shipwrecked. I've been beat up. But the surpassing joy that comes in Jesus Christ, like, devoid of that turn and that joy, like, the New Testament is a, is a horror story. Mm-hmm. Like, as I'm preparing to, like, teach Revelation, it's like, um, John is telling these seven churches, like, <laughs> <laughs> he's giving them this heavenly vision because, like, they're living in hell. Like, they need this heavenly vision mm-hmm. because they're literally living in hell. And, man, like, Jesus, like, the way of Jesus, like, he died on a cross. He rose from the dead. He told his disciples, hey, I need you to go make disciples. I think, again, our triumphalistic narrative causes us to read Acts like a little bit off because we read it and we say, oh, yeah, this is incredible. Like all these thousands of people came to no faith. Well, persecution hits a couple chapters later. Mm-hmm. They're all spread out like until Constantine like comes and makes Christianity like the national religion of the Roman Empire in 325, like, it's rough times. Like, it's really rough times. And I think the reality of, like, the the reality of, like, the that little big thing is that that little big thing is hard. Like, you can do big little devoid of faith. You can be faith and even do big little. You can can use your own imagination, your own and you can like force big little to work, create a big wide thing and have a little bit of impact because we as humans can produce a little bit of impact. But man, like the little big takes the mustard seed faith. Yeah. One of my, one of my favorite, uh, my favorite preachers, uh, is a lady named Christine Kane. She said, talent will draw a crowd, but anointing is what saves the soul. And, right? Talent will draw a crowd, but anointing is what saves a soul. And like, man, like that, that's exactly what you're saying. Like, that's exactly what you're saying. I think an, an unintended, uh, an unintended theme that, that has developed, uh, in this podcast, um, because it's, you know, this is, this is the, about the third time I'm going to mention this person, man. But like, I gotta, I gotta bring it back to my father-in-law and like, Eddie, I'm looking at you. Cause I know you're about to, you're rocking with what I'm about to say. Like I, in, in, in sitting, uh, similar, similar to you, like in conversations, you know, just one-on-one conversations with my father-in-law and like times we've just sat and, um, you know, and, and just shared, you know, just share what was going on. Like he's told me stories about, you know, my father-in-law is somebody who, who a lot of people would look at on the outside and say, he's got a lot of position, a lot of possessions and a lot of power. 
And there's a point in his life where he could have, he's been very successful in regards to those three things. And there's a point in his life where uh, you could say that he could very easily continue on the trajectory to continue to obtain position, possessions, and power, continue to be bigger, to have more, to go beyond uh, where they're, where they're at right now. Um, but Jesus in his life caused a transformation where it no longer became about position, possessions, and power, but about the people that the Lord placed around him. And as he began to give away position, possessions, and power, as he began to give that away to the people who were around him, maybe not getting any bigger in the economic or corporate world, um, certainly began to have more impact in the world. I can honestly say, I think I, think I can safely, y'all check me if I'm wrong, I can safely say that none of the four of us are doing this here right now, speaking to whoever we're speaking to, if, if, that, if that Jesus transformation doesn't happen in, in his life, you mm -hmm. know? Third Street's not where where it's at. Eddie Eddie's not where 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 he's at. You know, like this stuff doesn't happen if people don't begin to to make that faithful shift of no longer working themselves to the bone to build the big little, but instead focusing on the little what we often view as the little things to have big impact. And I love what you said about about you can do big little devoid of faith, like you can do devoid you can do big little devoid of faith. But faith, like faith, is required. It's the prerequisite. Man, it's required to be able to do little big. I struggle sometimes because I don't think how many days, bro, have we have we talked? Like, are we even really doing anything? Are we even really like making any impact? Like, is this really even making a difference? It's small. It's local. It's neighborhood. Like, does anybody even really care? And the reality is, like, we'll probably never see. We'll probably never see the full impact of what the Lord has us doing. And that's frustrating. Like, we have to have faith that at some point <laughs> the Lord's favor shines upon that and multiplies what he's done in us into our community like that's tough Amen. there's a moment uh in the bible where paul is trying to compel us to understand just how wide and deep uh the love of god is and um as i was going through that passage um i kept feeling like there was this you know, we want to be like, well, there's Mount Everest at 29,000 feet and the deep trench, you know, at 30,000 feet. And, and, um, and I felt like, um, what God does in our life is he expresses love where there is grief, uh, there is comfort, where there is loneliness, uh, there is friendship, right? These, these are the depths and width, uh, and heights of God's love. And I think when we feel like we're doing nothing, but we just show up. Yep. We're just present. And when we feel like we're doing nothing, I feel like often God is like, this is my Holy Spirit. 
which I gave to you that can do everything in those moments. It's big. That's it. Eddie, That's man. Thanks for being with us, bro. It's good. It's good to it's good to see you via FaceTime and it's good to it's good to uh have the have the squad back together, man. Let's let's do this all squad, the time. Squad, fam, fam. <laughs> I love you guys. I miss you. We, we miss you too, too Eddie. Bro. Love right. you and miss you too. Eddie, bro. you gotta do the closing bless up. Bless up.